chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verses 1 through verse 20. This is the account of this sacred, sacred event when our Lord Jesus Christ was born and those who observed it or heard about it worshipped him. So let's read in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all were to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the night keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. It is wonderful to have all the children here. This afternoon, what a this is kind of a complete feel of who we are as a church. And if you hear kids' noises, enjoy them. Right? Don't begrudge them. Delight in them. This is the sound of little ones, precious in the sight of God and precious to us. And if your parents and your kids are making a little bit of noise, don't worry about it. We're enjoying them. They're not distracting us. They're part of the joy of this moment. Well, this afternoon, we're going to take just a few minutes to open up uh, God's Word here. This is part two of a two-part message on Luke chapter two, on the meaning and significance of Christmas. We saw from this text last week that in a moment in time when the world was embroiled in all kinds of 
politics and oppression and corruption, God in the person of Jesus was born in Bethlehem. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. His name shall be called Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. This past week I was, I was thinking about that phrase, He will save His people from their sins, and it reminded me of a summary of God's saving grace, the saving grace of Christ that has been used by preachers for generations. So much so that I'm guessing that as I begin this summary, you quite possibly will be able to complete it. Jesus came to save his people from the penalty, the power, and the presence of their sins. Jesus came to save his people from the penalty of their sins, the judgment, the wrath, the hell that our sins deserve. Jesus came and through his death delivered us, rescued us from the penalty of our sins. He came to save us from the power of our sins so that we who once were dead in sin, we who once were enslaved to sin, we who once were held captive to addictions and bondage of all shapes and sizes, God in Jesus Christ delivers us. He breaks the power of sin so that our lives can be transformed. And He came to save His people from the presence of our sin for He is coming again. And when He comes again, He will make sin be no more. There will be no more sin. Not in this planet, not on the new heavens, not in the new earth. Sin will be done away with. And and all the injustice and all the bigotry and all the nastiness that is in our own hearts and comes to us from others, all of it will be gone because Jesus will save His people from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. I was thinking also this week of the fact that in this room, this afternoon, there would be people from so many different backgrounds, so many different cultures, so many different places. But there's one place where all of us have been. And that is the place of being under the penalty of sin and in the power of sin and longing to be rescued from the presence of sin. We've all been in that place where our sin and the sins of others have grieved us and have have left us in guilt and left us in shame. We've all been in that place where we've needed the saving mercy of God. We've all been there. Everyone in this room has been there, but Jesus came to save us. This is, as we said last week, a mercy to receive. This is something that we all need to receive. And I pray that everyone in this room has come to a different place, a place where you recognized your need for Jesus, you recognized your need for a Savior, and you bowed your knee and bowed your heart and said, Jesus, save me from my sins. Now, if that 
is true of you, then there are in this text, I think, I think two other quick applications that the Lord would have us make. We saw last week there is here a mercy to receive, there is a manger to imitate. Can I suggest to you this afternoon briefly that there is also a miracle to praise? There is a miracle to praise. And in this text, praise is demonstrated. It is released in two ways. First of all, in happy, overflowing, loud worship. So we see, for example, in verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We don't, we don't know if the angels were singing here or if they were shouting here. It just says they said this. Sometimes that word is used of songs, sometimes of loud announcements. Either one really is pretty impressive. You're talking about a whole host of angels. You're talking about thousands upon thousands of angels. And with one voice, either in song or in speaking, they say, glory to God in the highest. And can you imagine that sound? If it was thousands and thousands of angels just declaring it, just announcing it, if we were all even here just to say, glory to God in the highest, 200 people here, glory to God in the highest, the roof would raise, the angels said this out over the, the fields, glory to God in the highest, all those angel voices with pure adoration, with pure praise, they knew that what was happening was so significant, so awesome, so wondrous, that the only proper response was worship. Praise God, glory to God in the highest. And, and the shepherds did the same thing in verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I, the, the word that is used there for praising is used in other parts of the Bible in one case for the praising of a lame man who was healed. And, and when he was healed and he leaped to his feet and he was dancing around the city of Jerusalem and it says he was praising God. This, was, this wasn't quiet, reflective praise. This was, this was the praise of a man who, who had praise in his feet. He had praise in his hands. He had praise in his heart. He had praise everywhere. And, and the shepherds here they were praising God. They were exuberant. They were thrilled. This Christmas is about praise. Christmas is about worship. Christmas is about singing. Christmas is about rejoicing. I don't think you can understand Christmas without having at least moments where your heart shouts. At least moments where you say, glory to God. Glory to God. But you know, there's a different kind of praise here. As well, we see it in verses 17 through 19. And when they saw it, when the shepherds saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This is a different kind of worship. The shepherds and the angels, it was this effusive overflow of exuberance and praise. But the people who heard this, they wondered 
at it. The, the word means they were amazed. They were in awe. They marveled at it. The mystery of it and the wonder of it gripped their hearts. How is it that Christ the Lord, He who sat on the throne of heaven for all of eternity, how is it now that He is lying in a manger stall? How how can this be? And and He is going to save His people. They wondered. And then Mary, it says that she treasured these things in her heart. She She guarded them. She realized that there was something very precious here to cherish. She pondered them. Can I suggest to you folks that worship is incomplete unless it includes both exuberance and reverence. It needs to include both reflection, quiet meditation, and joyful celebration. I would suggest that if your worship doesn't include both, then something's missing. A song of exuberance that doesn't come out of a spirit of reflection is not really worship, it's just emotion. But reflection that doesn't sing is not really praise, it's just intellect. And we are called to both. And so, let us be those who see in this miracle of Christmas something to praise, a God to praise. Let us be those who see in it something to ponder, something to reflect on, something to wonder at. And then finally, Christmas as revealed here is a mercy to receive, a manger to imitate, a miracle to praise, And very quickly, it's a message to share. It is a message to share. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. As soon as the shepherds were done seeing Jesus and worshiping Jesus, they told others about Jesus. There's a a connection here between the receiving of good news and the sharing of good news. I I took a glance at my Facebook feed today and here were the, the posts that I saw just today. There was celebration of a family gathering. Somebody celebrating delicious whoopie pies. Somebody celebrating a wonderful wife, a best friend. The Star Wars movie, a dog playing a piano, yes, that was there too, a beautiful song, a baby's first steps, the son's first bike, a hockey save of the game, a loving pet, a pregnancy, a five-year-old who could play the piano like crazy, somebody who won a Super Bowl ticket, and a vegan diet that permits you eating shrimp. All of that was on my Facebook feed today. What does it have to do with the shepherds? It has this to do with it. When you have good news, something that brings you joy, you share it. You declare it. Good news is given in order to be shared. 
And as you read through the Gospel of Luke, you see time and again this is what happened. Mary in chapter 1 gets the good news, she sings. Zechariah chapter 1 gets the good news, he prophesies. In chapter 1 or 2, a little bit later on, when Anna, who is in the temple, sees the Christ child, she praises God and it says, all of Jerusalem, she told all of Jerusalem about it. And you keep going throughout Luke, and time and time again, there is this theme. Good news is meant to be shared. The good news of Jesus Christ is meant to be shared. It is meant to be given to others. We are not meant to be good news dead ends. We are, we are meant to be good news thoroughfares. We are, we are meant to have the good news come into our minds, into our hearts, and then out of our lips. We're, we're not to be dead-end streets. We're not to just have the, the truth hit us and stop here. It's not supposed to hit you here this afternoon and just stop right where you are. No, now it goes through you to others. And, and if you're a believer here, this afternoon, it's because somebody else was not a dead end, but a thoroughfare. Because somebody else shared the good news with you. Somebody else loved you enough, loved Jesus enough to, to share with you the fact that Christ, the Savior, was born. And He lived. And He died. And He rose. And He reigns. And He's coming back and He will forgive you from the penalty and the power and the presence of your sin if you will but repent of that sin and trust in Him to be your Savior and your Lord. Somebody was the thoroughfare to you. Somebody. You'll track that person down in heaven. And you'll go up to that person and say, thank you for not being a dead end. Thank you for letting the news come through you to me. Who in this world knows about Jesus because of you? Who in this world, in, in chapter 8 it says that the man, you remember the man who was demon-possessed and he was just so gripped by sin and evil, but Jesus comes along and sets the man free. And the man goes, it says, back to his hometown and told the whole city, the whole city, what Jesus had done for him. Who are you telling what Jesus has done for you? Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. What's going to be your mountain this year? That place from which you proclaim, you herald, you declare. Will it be your dining room table where you have neighbors and friends and the poor and the needy in sitting around your table where it becomes your mountaintop from which you herald the gospel. Maybe it'll be the 69th Street Terminal as you join others in taking the gospel there. Maybe it'll be the bridge course. Maybe it'll be a Starbucks or a local pub where you meet with unsaved people and you enter deeply into their lives and you tell them about Jesus. Who knows? But there are, there are all kinds of mountains out there. There are all kinds of places that you can use 
to stand on and herald the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, as we close, may it be that we will see in the Christmas event a mercy to receive. Christ the Savior is born. May we see in this a manger to imitate, a life of humility and self-sacrifice that He entered into that we are now to follow. May we see in this a miracle to praise. And may we see in this a message to share. And in this way, Christmas will be more than just some emotion and joy and food and singing. It'll be a mission and it will be a lifestyle and it will be what it's all about for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you please give to us the merriest, in the deepest, sweetest, richest sense, the merriest of Christmases. May this be the most joyful. May this be wondrously joyful. But may it also be a Christmas in which we resolve in our own hearts to live a life of manger love and live a life where we share the message. May we, may we resolve that in 2018, the light is going to shine out more brightly and more powerfully and more consistently from our lives into this sin and sadness darkened world than it ever has before. And may it be in these next few minutes as we symbolically share the light with candles and as we sing that there would be a fresh reflection wonder and amazement and then a call to go and tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born